Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, we have been reading about the life of the Apostle Peter this fall together, uh, which is really a story about what the steadfast love of Jesus does to Peter over time. It is uh, a story of what the love of Jesus calls him to and, and what it works in him and what it makes of him for the life of the world. And so it is a hopeful story for people like you and me because seeing Jesus with Peter gives us a good picture of what Jesus' love might make of people like us too. Uh, So in the story that we're going to read together this morning, Peter gets caught between some tax collectors and Jesus, and then he goes out and uh, does a little catching himself. So I'm going to read from Matthew 17, verses 24 through 27. It's printed in the order of worship if you want to follow along there. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax, from their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask uh, that as we talk about and think about this word that we have just read together, that you would meet us all, that you'd meet uh, every one of us here in whatever place we find ourselves, those of us uh, who have faith and those of us who don't and those of us who aren't sure at all what we believe or think or hope in. Meet those of us uh, who are sad and who need comfort, hurting, and need peace, Father, meet us uh, in whatever place we are and feed us with this good word. Show us the grace of Jesus, and we pray it in his name. Amen. There's something I should tell you. I'm not left-handed either. There's something I should tell you. I'm not left-handed either. Now, I know that some of you hear that line, and you might think it's a little strange that I am telling you that I am not left-handed at the top of a sermon, and I can accept that. Uh, I can appreciate it. It would be a little strange if I was doing that. But I know that there are others here who heard me say that line, and they know right away, they know right away that I'm quoting from Rob Reiner's 1987 movie, The Princess Bride. So I guess we know who the movie nerds are, um, but that is not my point. My point is uh, that I kept thinking about that sword fight scene that's from The Princess Bride. I kept thinking about that scene this week as I was thinking about this story that we just read together. If you don't know the scene I'm talking about, there's a scene in that movie in which two swordsmen meet for a duel. And they're both really good. They're both pretty evenly matched. And uh, then one of them starts to get the upper hand. At which point, the guy who is beginning to lose says, I admit that you are better than me. 
And then the guy who's winning says, then why are you smiling? And the guy who's losing says, because I'm not left-handed. And he, with a flourish, throws his sword into his right hand, and now he can, you know, fight in the right way, and the momentum changes, and he begins to start to win until the other guy says, well, there's something I ought to tell you. I'm not left-handed either. (laughs) And then he, with a big flourish, changes the sword to his right hand, and the momentum shifts the other way, and he uh, ends up winning the fight. Both of them had been limiting themselves, and that is, that is the point. They had limited themselves. And I think that idea is at the heart of the story that we just read together. That idea is at the heart of what Peter learned from Jesus that day. The sons are free, Jesus said. And then he said, however... The sons are free, however. Peter learned that day that Jesus was willing to limit himself, that Jesus was willing to limit his freedom. Peter learned that love and wisdom together in practice makes for a very different kind of freedom than we usually think of when we hear that word. And I hope we can begin to learn that too this morning. So Jesus and the disciples are in Galilee, which is where uh, they had all grown up. As a matter of fact, they are in a town called Capernaum, which happens to be Simon's hometown. And as Matthew has been telling the story, it has been a very stretching run for the disciples of late. Uh, Much of that we have talked about over the last month or so together. Simon had confessed that Jesus was the Messiah, the, the world's true king. And Jesus' response after affirming Simon was to tell him and all of the rest of the 11 that we're going to go to Jerusalem and there I'm going to suffer and I'm going to be killed. Well, that, the, that whiplash, you know, that dissonance between Messiah and suffering was too much for Simon to take. And he told Jesus, listen, Jesus, that is never going to happen. And Jesus rebuked Simon and then about 10 days later, or, eight or, eight or six or eight days later, He and John and James were taken up to the top of a mountain where they were able to see just a sliver of Jesus' glory, just a sliver of the glory that they had been made for forever. And then this voice from heaven says, this is my son. Listen to him. So I'm sure that it was pretty hard to begin to make sense out of all of those things. Hard to know what they all meant, but at least they're at home now, and Simon is out in front of his house trimming the olive trees or whatever, and the collectors of the two drachma tax approach him. Now, that is an interesting tax. Uh, It is not a Roman tax, although, of course, the empire knew and sanctioned its collection. It wouldn't surprise me at all if the empire got a little cut from it, but it's not their tax. The two drachma tax was levied on Jewish males between the ages of 20 and 50. And and the, the proceeds from that tax went to the upkeep of the temple. It was based on an old offering. You can read about it in Exodus 30. It was an old offering that was supposed to be collected whenever the people were counted. And that offering went to the upkeep of the tabernacle, which of course was the forerunner to the temple. 
So sometime shortly before Jesus' day, that old offering had been kind of reimagined and reinvented by the Pharisees as a way of keeping the temple in good shape. They collected it locally, and they collected it from pilgrims who were making their way to the temple for Passover. It was not compulsory. There was no penalty if you didn't give to it. It was more a matter of national pride or maybe a matter of piety to give to it. There were outlier groups who didn't give to it and some who gave reluctantly, but most people just paid up because it was a pretty small amount of money. So that is the tax, and the collectors ask Peter, does not your teacher pay the tax? And I have to say that's a kind of confusing translation of the original language there. I usually avoid mentioning things like that, but it's helpful here to know that the way that question is worded, um, it expects a positive answer. It might be better to hear that question as, your teacher pays the tax, right? So why would they ask that? Why would they wonder if, if Jesus paid this two drachma tax? Well, in short, I think it's a way to situate Jesus. It's a way to maybe pin down his intentions. It's a way to maybe suss out what his next moves are going to be. I think that these collectors have a gut feeling about Jesus. You know, Jesus had said some things that rankled, uh, rankled the main line. He would occasionally say things that made it sound like he was operating outside of the usual lines of authority. You have heard it said, Jesus would say. And then he would quote the law of Moses. And then he would say, but I say to you. Or there was that one time when he told everyone that something greater than the temple is here. Or that one time when he told the Pharisees, you are blind guides. (laughs) In other words, Jesus had a reputation for sitting light with this kind of thing. Their gut feeling, if they had it, it was absolutely right. So they asked Peter if Jesus pays the tax, and Peter does not hesitate. Yes. Now, did he say that because he knew Jesus paid it? Did he say that because he thought it was the right answer or the best answer to give in that moment? We don't know. (laughs) And one of the fun things about this story is that the answers to those questions are unclear. What is clear is that as soon as Peter strolls back into the house, Jesus pounces on him with a question. And church, this is the the steadfast love of Jesus in action. Asking questions like he always does. Asking questions so that we will have to think on it. So that we'll have to put words to things. So that we will have to say things that get at the deepest and most important things inside of us. Like that voice said, this is my son. Listen to him when he talks. And one of the ways that people like us can grow up in our faith and mature in our faith, if, if that's what we want to do, is to put ourselves consistently in the places where we can hear Jesus talk, where we hear him ask questions in Scripture, in prayer, in worship, through the faces and voices of other Christian folks. So uh, Jesus pounces on Simon. He says, what do you think, Simon? Uh, For whom do the kings of the earth 
From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? It's like a, it's like a little parable in question form. And the answer is as plain as the nose on Simon's face. From others, Simon says, not from their sons. And I know it doesn't sound very fair to our democratic sensibilities to know that the children of kings would be exempt from paying taxes, but them's the breaks, as they say, and no one in the first century was laboring under our democratic sensibilities. And Simon is absolutely right. And Jesus draws the inevitable conclusion from that, and when he does it, he plunges Simon, and he plunges you, and he plunges me into realities that lie at the very heart of our faith and into how we live with one another and how we live with everyone around us. Then the sons are free, Jesus says. The children are free. Don't miss that, church. Jesus is saying that the children of the king are free. And when he says that, he, he snaps Simon back out of that little parable question and into the actual question that is at hand. Does Jesus pay that little temple tax or not? The implications of this question and Jesus' answer are not complicated, but they are very important to point out. The temple belongs to the Father it's the Father's house. And so the children, by virtue of who they are in relation to the Father, don't need to pay the tax. And of course, that's true for Jesus, the Son, right? We know who he is from the very beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, of all the Gospels. We know who Jesus is from his baptism. We know who Jesus is from that voice that spoke from the cloud. This is my Son. Listen to him. We know that because that's how Jesus talked about himself as the son. But here he is saying something amazing to Simon. You are a son too. You're a son, Simon. Me and you, Simon, the sons, we're free. You and I are free. Now, I don't know if Simon got it, got it. I don't know if he grasped in that moment what that meant for him or what it was going to mean for him for the rest of his life. I doubt he did. But I do know that that's exactly what Jesus was getting at and that the New Testament writers can hardly ever get over it. Here's how the Apostle John put it. To all who believed in Jesus' name, he gave the right to be called children of God. Here's how the Apostle Paul put it, and the Apostle Paul put it like in a hundred different ways, but here's how he put it to his friends in Rome. The Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are the children of God, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Jesus. The New Testament church is everywhere alive with this truth that to follow Jesus is to share in his status as family. He is our elder brother, and that means that we are the children of God himself that we are connected to the life of God, that we are made to share the glory of God, that we are made to enjoy God forever. And that is absolutely true, and that is what freedom is. And if that's all, you know, if that's all that, that Jesus had said to Simon that day, and if that's the only part of the conversation that you and I got to overhear, then that would be pretty great. <laughs> 
it would be pretty great because to be a child by faith means that we have not earned that thing, not earned that status in any way. It is a gift to us, and that means that we are free. We didn't earn it by doing a bunch of good stuff, by keeping our noses clean, by running around scared all of the time, and we don't keep on being children by doing any of those things either. We are free of all of that performance stuff that leaves people burnt up and chewed up and exhausted and angry and sad. We're free from all of that. All that we had to do was open our hands in faith and receive that gift. And church, we didn't need super strong faith, and we didn't need super eloquent faith. All we needed was faith. And I'm telling you, the tiniest, weakest, most fragile faith will do. It's more than enough. Faith like the faith that sinks down into the sea like Simon's. It's enough, and it always will be enough. But of course, that isn't all that Jesus said to Simon. <laughs> the sons are free, Jesus said. However, the children are free. However, not to give offense to them. We absolutely, positively, without any question whatsoever, do not need to pay this tax, Simon. However, we're going to pay it. <laughs> However, sometimes love and wisdom will lead people like us to limit our own freedom. Love and wisdom will sometimes cause people like us to limit our freedom, not because we have to, but because we can. For them, for their good, for their good over ours. Freedom means that we can take the hit for somebody else's good. I don't know, you know, I don't know who those collectors were. I would love to know. <laughs> and you know, it's easy for us when we hear this story or we, we read this story, it's easy for us to think, man, how, how thin must their sensibilities have been if they would get messed up if Jesus didn't pay this tax? We don't know anything at all about these collectors except for this. They meant enough to Jesus that he didn't want them to get messed up. They meant enough to Jesus that he didn't want them to have any trouble at all from him. So in perfect love and with perfect wisdom, he limits his freedom for their sake. He is the son, but he's going to pay. <laughs> I mean, church, it's not that Jesus was afraid to say things or do things that would trouble people and cause offense. It's not like he doesn't know how to do that. He, he does that plenty. He traded body blows with the religious insiders all of the time. He got them so turned around that they wanted to blow their tops. But read the Gospels, and you will see over and over again, he chooses those moments. He sorts through those moments, every last one of them, with wisdom and with love. He will throw a sharp elbow if he needs to, but it's to wake people up so that they will look him in the eye and see who he really is in his love and in his grace. Most of the time, 
even though he could throw an elbow, he doesn't. He's like the prophet said he would be. He doesn't break bruised reeds. He, don't, he doesn't put out flames that are barely hanging on to life. And because of his great steadfast love, he wants Simon and he wants you and me to know that that's how he is. That he is like that. He limits his freedom. He limits his rights for our good and for the life of the world. Church, that's the heart of the gospel. That is the meaning of his cross and resurrection and ascension. His life as a ransom. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death. Not because he had to, but because he could. And the invitation to Simon that day and to you and me if we follow him in faith is to have that same mind and to start living that same way with everyone around us. Nothing about that is easy to do. There's nothing about that that's easy to do. Not in a culture that runs on and on and on about our rights. Not in a culture that runs on and on and on and on about our freedoms. Not in a culture that elevates the individual's right to self-make and self-determine as sacred. Even if it runs us into the ground. Even if it drives us into nothing. It's not easy. But to follow Jesus by faith means that we have access to a vast storehouse. All that we need to live as he lived, we have full access to. His forgiveness and grace and mercy, the never-ending love of the Father, the renewing power of the Holy Spirit. We have all that we need, and that is the truth. And I think <laughs> that that vast storehouse is what Jesus is pointing to when he sends Simon off to catch a fish. <laughs> It's honestly so crazy and so beautiful. It is such an over-the-top flourish from Jesus. I mean, surely somebody had a shekel lying around, right? I mean, between Jesus and Peter and the rest of the 11 guys and the one guy who kept the money bag and, and Peter's extended family there in the house, somebody, they could have scraped together a shekel. But no, it's not going to be like that. We care about these guys, Simon, and I care about you, so go fishing. And take the first fish and open its mouth, and there'll be a shekel in it. Give it to those guys, for me and for you. The earth is the Lord's, Simon, and the fullness thereof. That's your father. You're his son. You have everything that you need. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask, um, as always, <laughs> that you would help us to see clearly with the eye of faith so that we would see who Jesus really is, so that we would see how he lived and moved in this world for its good and for the life of this place. And we ask that you would be kind to us like Jesus was kind to Simon that day, to teach us this way in this world. Help us to live in a way that points to the cross and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. And do this so that we can be people who grow up in our faith and mature in our faith 
and do this so that we can be a people through whom you love the broken world. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.